if we are glad you're here tonight, do pray for a lot of folks that are sick. I'm telling you why. Don't forget Shannon tomorrow with his surgery. I can't wait. I'm going to call him and then go over in the morning. But I want to call him tonight and say, you made a great sermon illustration this morning. Uh, thank you so much. I want to talk about his cut, his you know, chest being cut open with a saw and how bad it's going to hurt. He'll really appreciate that, I know. He really will. There's no just no doubt about that. You know, it's really cool tonight because, you know, I, I had several places I could go um, with this. And I really hope you got the message this morning. I really hope, you know, because of uh, Brother Mickey, we didn't really get a chance to, to finish the invitation out. But I really, really hope that you thought about how is my heart. Someone posted on Facebook, and I appreciate it, you know, great sermon by responding you know, with, you know, thanks a lot. But, but, you know, the question of the week is, how is your heart? How's your heart? Because the heart is so desperately wicked, so, so easily to deceive, and it's utterly sick. Who can know it? And no one can know it but God. And no one can know it but God. And that's why we need to be constantly examining ourselves. So, so anyway, so I thought about Colossians chapter 3. It's a great scripture about things in our heart and things out of our heart. But I went ahead and decided to stay with Luke tonight, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And it talks, amazingly again, the heart is right in the middle of this. The heart is right in the middle of this. And it's amazing. And what happens is, of course, you remember last week, um, we had Zacchaeus uh, who lost his dignity, okay? And, and man went up into the tree, ran, which a guy wouldn't do. He ran because he knew something was missing in his life. He had money, wealth, he had prestige, all those different things. But he did not have something. Something was missing, and he, he wanted Jesus Christ. And so he was willing to do whatever it took to meet Jesus Christ. And that day, he met the Savior. That day, he met Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I tell you that was, is because the opening four or five words of verse number 11 in Luke chapter 19. Here's what it says. As they were listening to this, as they were listening to this, as they were coming off this great thing with, with you know, the thing with Zacchaeus getting saved, of course, the, the religious guys getting their two cents in about you shouldn't all be eating with sinners and all that, uh, different things. And Jesus saying, this truly is, this guy that you think is an outcast is really a son of Abraham. They listened to all that. They, they were, I should say they were hearing, but I'm not sure how well they were listening. And that's important. I think that's important with the Word of God. One of the commentaries I was reading this afternoon talking about this said, you know, what do you do when you hear a message? Dave, what do you do when you hear a message? You know, what's your stage of thought? What do you do? How do you process the information? And this little article in this life application commentary asked about three questions I thought were really good, Dave. The first thing is this. Do we, as the speaker speaks, do we interpret it to fit our agenda? Do we interpret it to fit our agenda? Do we take it and say, I'm glad he's preaching that because Nita needs it? You know, is he over here saying, you know, Mary needs that, okay? Or, or do we say, I know that doesn't apply to me, and that's kind of the second one. Do we screen out items? Do we simply say, okay, I know he's my pastor, I agree with this, I don't agree with that. So the part I don't agree with, I'm just going to write him off on that, even though the Word of God says it, the part I agree to. We say, listen, we play smorgasbord Christianity all the time with the Word of God. We, we, boy, we'll go through that, that bar and we'll load up on spiritual things. Boy, the things we like, we load up and we'll bypass some things every single time because we wrestle with them, we struggle with them, and so thereby we ignore them. Do we screen things out? And this was a tough one. Um, do you take notes and then file them away? Do you take notes and file them away? And may I say either mentally or physically? Do you, do you listen? And then just filed away without ever applying the Word of God. 
You know, this may be a real, real wild thing for you, but, but every preacher that in this church, I know Dave and Brent and myself and Brother Randy when he speaks and, and the guys a couple of weeks ago, the young men, you know, when they stand up here, they are here to bring a message from the Word of God for your edification and for your building up. And I would hope, and I, and I, in fact, I'm just going to say this, I believe that no matter who the speaker is, whether it's a young man that may be 12 or 13 or 14 years old, or whether it be an old guy, it does not matter that through the Holy Spirit you should be able to glean something that week to take home and not put in your filing cabinet, but apply to your life. So we need to do that, amen? Come on now, we need to do that. There's a lesson in listening, okay? Do you interpret according to my agenda? Do you screen out the items you don't like? And then do you note or take notes and then simply file away uh, never to be used. I would pray that we would not do that. So as they were listening to him, this is so cool because he tells us why. He went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, one. The next thing on the big event is he's heading into Jerusalem for the uh, triumphant entry. Okay, They were near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. They were near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom was going to appear. Now, I can't tell you enough. They had their own agenda, Val. They had their own agenda. In their brains, in their mind, they still had it. Even though three times at least Jesus had said, we're going to Jerusalem, guys. Yeah, I know we're going to Jerusalem. And you're going to, no, no, we're going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get arrested. There's going to be a trial. I'm going to be scourged, and I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they heard that over and over again. But because their agenda was something different, they heard, but they were not listening. They were not listening. And so Jesus had to take time and bring a parable that let them know something. That the way you think it's going to happen is not the way it's going to happen. I am going to Jerusalem, but I am not going to be crowned king. And said, I'm going to be a sacrificial lamb of God. He tells this parable because they thought they were near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom was going to be established. Now, here's what's so cool. This parable is us. This, this parable was them in, in about you know, a few, oh, probably five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, uh, totally fulfilled out after the resurrection. Um, this parable was them, but this parable is us. You know, so often we'll take a parable that Jesus told and, and kind of draw principles from it. This parable is us. It is the church that we live in today. It is the church that we lived in the last century. It was the church the century before that. But it is us. And here's what it says. Therefore, he said, A nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and return. A nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. Now, you see the obvious parallel, and I'll touch on it just a moment. Let me give you the practical side. The way it worked under Roman rule, and this was true in the Herods, by the way, is that what would happen is that a, uh, they'd be appointed a governor or some kind of, of, of leader, but they would eventually travel to Rome. They would leave their leadership position. They would go to Rome and seek authority to be king, to seek an appointment to be a king. And if Rome thought them worthy, they would receive the title of king and they would go back and return. This had very, very practical application. And brothers and sisters, hey, it has very practical application for us. Because 2,100 years ago, Jesus Christ stood on a hillside and gave the Great Commission. 
He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Bible says, as they watched, and this is a sermon in two weeks, and as they watched, he was taken up. Where did he go? He went to receive or be appointed a king. Now, if you're alive and breathing and you know Jesus, could you say amen? Our Savior left that day going back to heaven to receive His kingship. And I love, I love old John Phillips who's now in heaven himself. I love his take on, on Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. He pictures it, he pictures it as the Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection, his body scarred, his body maimed. Uh, he approaches the gates and says, Lift up your gates, and the King of glory shall come in. And the response is, Who is this King of glory? And it's the Lord mighty, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I can just imagine my eyes as Jesus approaches the great gates of heaven and says, open those gates up. The King has come. Who is the King? It was the King who died. It was the King who was buried. It is the King who was resurrected and lives forevermore. That is the King. Open the doors up. Amen? Open the doors up. Open the doors up. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. That is the picture we have here. 2,100 years ago, Jesus left. He's coming back. We don't know when. Uh, some lady said, I think May 31st is the date. She, she's got a website out there. I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. But I can definitely tell you, as your pastor, is that we're a whole lot closer now than we were 2,100 years ago. And yes, if you look at the book of Revelation and some of the prophecies in Daniel, it appears that we are seeing times fulfilled right here before our eyes. Our King is coming back, and it could be. There's nothing standing in the way. It could be in our lifetime. And the question is, are we ready for His return? Are we ready for His return? Maybe a better question. Are we prepared? For his return. Prepared would be salvation. I know we're down tonight to, to a reasonably small number. And that's, I think, because of sickness. Are we prepared? Have we made certain that we've received the heart transplant? That's next week's sermon, so I won't dwell there. But has there been a time when we know that we did what the Word of God says concerning eternal life? Did we, did we turn from our sin and have we made a commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord? I was thinking, I'm so afraid there's so many people, like I said this morning, who are counting on their baptism or their church membership or some denomination they're holding on to or the amount of check that they write or the positions they hold that somehow they're counting on something else to get them there even though they say, I believe in Jesus they want a Jesus plus. Well, honey, there is no Jesus plus. He's not Alka-Seltzer Cold Plus. He is the one and only way to heaven. Are you prepared and are you ready? Are you, what do you mean by ready? Well, let's read the parable and see what it says, shall we? So, he, he went, he left, and he promised to come back. In the meantime, verse number 13 and 14, he called ten of his servants... Ten of his slaves. And he gave them 
10 minas. Now, depending on which commentary you read, a mina, and they give one per 10. So each servant, each slave got one mina, okay? And depending on which commentary you read, it can be anywhere between 30 and 60 days labor. So it wasn't a real small amount, okay? Nor was it a huge amount. But he, now watch, he entrusted each one of them part of his wealth, okay? And here's what he said. He told them, I love this, engage in business till I come back. He said, I'm going away and I'm going to return. Here is, here is something I'm entrusting to you. And what I want you to do is, till I get back, I want you to engage in business. Now, they understood what he meant. What, whose business do you think they were supposed to engage in? The nobleman. The nobleman's business. Okay? They were to take that money and make profit for it, make him more profitable, okay, until he came back. Alright? That's huge. Now, let me ask you a question. Jesus left. He has left us here and he has entrusted part of his wealth. And his command to us, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you hearing? Is to do business. Are we doing business? Not our business. See, that's the problem. We today somehow got it figured out that, that the church is about us. That, that you know, I, again, I can't get over this enough, and this needs to be preached on Sunday morning, and sometime I'll get around to it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. That when new people come to our church, their tendency is to say, what can your church do for me? Wrong question. Randy Davis made that so clear one time in an article. Wrong question. The question is, one, does God want me here? And two, how can I serve? How can I do business for God under the ministry of the Dorisville Baptist Church? That's the right question. It's not, it's not how good is your worship leader? How good is your preacher? How good is your, your youth guy? How can you profit my family? That's not what it's about. That's self-centered. That's turning in. Because you see, we're supposed to be doing business for the king. And I found out something. It's really different. It's difficult to cater to folks when they're looking inward and do business for the king too. Very difficult. As an individual, whose business are you doing? You see the tie-in this morning's sermon? Do you see it? Heart disease? Where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. Where a man's treasure is, there's, your heart will follow your treasure. And so, in the, in the business, in the realm of business, you have been entrusted. Yes, we're talking about time. Yes, we're talking about resources. Yes, we're talking about calendaring. Yes, we're talking about talents. You have been entrusted with a certain amount of wealth, if you will. And wealth, time is wealth, and calendars are wealth, and, and talent is wealth, and resources, money is wealth. You've been entrusted with a certain amount. How are you doing business? Because I'm telling you, your heart will show you how you're doing business. Your heart will show you. If your passion is over here and all those things are following after that, that's where your heart is. And you can't do business for God and do business in the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. Of the world. If a man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's huge, guys. It's huge. 
I, I don't know about you. I, you may be saying, would you please get over whatever pill you're taking? But guys, I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, God is calling us to a new level. He's, these are latter days. And these are the days when Christians have to be Christians and the church has got to be a church because there's a lost world out there and God needs to receive glory through their salvation. That's what it's all about. So how are you doing business? Do business till I come back. So the Bible says in verse 14, something really wild. But his subjects hated him. Now, now everything I read today, the subjects are not the slaves that he talks about. The one he gave the ten people he gave the money to, they are not included in that group. This is a group of people who did not want this man that lived in his authority, who did not want this man ruling over him. In their day, who was it? Who was Jesus talking about? The Pharisees. They didn't want Jesus to rule. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Jesus was a boat rocker to them. They had it made in the shade. They were king of the hill. And Jesus came and said, you can't be king of the hill. I'm the king. And so they wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So in their day, that's exactly right. And this is so cool. One of the Herods, started with an A, I can give you that much, started with an A, killed 3,000 Jews. And one of the Herods went to Rome to receive his kingship. A delegation, this is extra-biblical writings, a fellowship, a, a delegation of Jews went to Rome to persuade Rome from appointing this man king because he was not worthy. That's exactly what Jesus says. His subjects hate him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Jesus was drawing from practical teachings of that day. In that particular case, that particular hair was never received the title of king. You're the Sunday night crowd, and I know that, but I wonder if we would send a delegation. If, if we truly, I've got a sermon series that I think I told you lined up for October, Lord willing, called, called Hardball, Tough Words from Jesus. You know, we love the John 3.16 verses and those kind of verses, but if you go back to like the Sermon on the Mount and read those teachings, would you want him as your pastor? Would you want him as your pastor? Really? I mean, he would be a boat rocker here. And he would really shake up this place with his teachings. I wonder if we'd be tempted. We don't have a hierarchy, I guess, Dave. We don't have a a government somewhere where we'd go and appeal and say, we don't want him to be pastor. But if we could, would we? We we kind of like the way it is. You know, we kind of like you know being coddled and loved and stuff like that. We we kind of want that. So many churches that's so true. We don't want to be outcasts from society. We don't want this. And they would send a delegation saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. And the parallel is perfect. Religious leaders, religious people. Perfect parallel there. So, verse fifteen. At his return, he who shall come will come. He who shall come will come. The trumpet is going to sound. The trumpet, Baptist, is going to sound. The rapture of the church is going to happen. We, one day, either by, like David's new tagline, I'm sorry, Matt's new tagline, Till he returns or calls me home. Either he's coming or we're dying, but we're going to get out of this world. 
And there will be a time of accountability, not for our sins, but for our rewards at that time. Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Get ready. At his return, and guess what? Unlike Herod, he got his authority. Having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves, those servants, those ten people back he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. There's going to be an accountability. God one day, through the judgment seat of Christ, one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our sin will be the topic of our servant will, our service will. What we did, how we, how we lived our life, what we did for the kingdom, I think I'm going to be held accountable as pastor and as an individual. He returned and said, now let me see how you did business. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse number 10, the Bible says, For we must all, say all, not just pastors, not just deacons. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is coming a time of accountability before Jesus Christ. And that's what he's mentioning here. Let me see how you did business. So let's see how they did business. Verse 16 and 17. The first one came forward. And said, Master, your, your mina has earned ten more minas. Lord, you gave me one, and now I have ten. Verse 17. Well done, good slave, good servant. He told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. How about that? Did you know something there? The reward for faithfulness and responsibility is more responsibility. It's not just wealth. It wasn't, well, here, you can have a stock option. Here, here well, you know, we're going we're to staff your stock portfolio so you can retire safely. No. You have been faithful with the one I gave you. You've earned ten more. I'm going to let you, listen, I'm going to let you serve more. The reward for faithful service is more opportunity to serve faithfully. Well, Dwayne, that's kind of a dud. No, it's because of Him. It's not for what we get. It's not like, I tithe so I can get. I serve so I can get. Have you figured it out? It's all about Jesus. It's His gig. It's His deal. It's His show. He is the star. We are not. We are not. And once again, just think of the black sheep that you were. Go back to that day and get a hard look at the sinner you were. He saved you and forgave you. We should be so grateful for the opportunity to do business for Him. And if we are faithful and He rewards us, we should be so grateful for the opportunity to serve Him more. More. Isn't that amazing? I think this is incredible. Well, like I say, you've been faithful in a very small matter. Have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. The same, you get the same balance of authority, you know, you know, responsibility. You know what? You had one. You made five. Now listen, I'm going to give you authority now. More opportunity to serve over five towns. Wow, how about that? Well done. Well done. And then we now now we don't know the story of the whole ten. 
We have three. We don't know if there were like three more faithful ones and then this guy shows up. There's no really to prove that he was number three. Okay? We know there were seven more somewhere mixed in the mix. But we get this third guy. Another came and said, Master, here's your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you, for you're a tough man. You collect what you don't deposit, and you reap what you didn't sow. You, you gave me this one, and you're such a hard person. You're, you're really quite, can I just be honest with you? You're really unfair. You know, here, here you give me all this responsibility. Don't you know I've got other priorities? Don't you? I've got a job. I've got a family. I've got retirement to worry about. You know, Winnebago's and things like that. I've got so much to worry about. I really didn't have time. I didn't appreciate the pressure you put on me with this mine of business. Hmm. Possible? More than possible. Did you notice he didn't put it in the bank? Ever wonder why? You know why guys like to get paid in cash? No record. No taxes. If you, if, you, if you get your check and put it in your bank, there's a record. There's no record. There's two things you can almost take, no pun intended, to the bank tonight. Number one is this. He probably didn't expect the king to come back. He didn't expect this man to come back. Two... He warned it for himself. That's why there's no record. This is one of those times when I know what we say, but deep down buried somewhere in the crevices of our heart, I'm not sure what we believe. We believe the Bible. We know that, the second coming. We believe that Jesus is coming back. We just don't believe Anytime soon. Maybe sometime in the future. But not so I have to worry about it. But remember the tagline? Till he returns or calls me home. The accountability factor is still there, folks. And can I be very honest with you? It's not yours. It's his. This guy wanted to keep that 30, 60 days wage, whatever it was, for himself. If he didn't come back, it was his to keep. And we so often live as if it's ours to keep and it's not. We are stewards, folks. We don't even own the other 90%. We don't even own the other 90%. It's all his. He graciously said, you know, 10% is mine. Bring it to the storehouse. You can have the 90. I hope you give offerings and you're freehanded with that. And stewardship... Yes. Yes. And here, this, I wrote down, heart disease. This kind of mentality is a red flag for heart disease. When we live as if God, oh, is this Praclatheus in the end? If we live as if he's not coming back, it doesn't exist, that's heart disease, folks. We have a diseased heart. When we conduct our business, our marriages and our family, our careers and our time and our priorities and our finances as if God wasn't coming back or there's no accountability that he's on vacation far and not expected back for a long time. That's heart disease, folks. It's heart disease. 
What kind of response do you think he gets? Verse 22 24 says this. He told him, I will judge you by what you said. You, oh, it's harsh words. Evil slave, evil servant. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting where I didn't deposit and reaping where I did not sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And that way, when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. Have you ever thought about the judgment seat of Christ? Linda, what's it going to be like? Heaven's going to be great, you know. And I think we got a picture, picture that, that there's going to be this, I understand, you know. Well, well God, I, I spent everything on myself. I was self-consumed in my Christian. I, you know, I, I know you saved me and stuff. But I, my world was me. And Jesus is going to say, I understand. It's okay. Go, go ahead. I mean, you're going in, but just go ahead. You know, here's Paul with stitches on his neck, his head so back on. You know, well, God, I went to church, you know. And, and Paul says, well, I, I got my head cut off for him. And there's an equality there. We're all okay with that. That there are people today who are dying for the cause of Christ. And we're okay with the fact that we think pretty spiritual when we give our 10%. Ouch. Wow. I'm telling you, guys. I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer with the Bible, but there is coming an accounting time. And again, sin won't be the topic. Faithfulness will be. Faithfulness will be. And I don't know, you know, they often debate when Peter denied Jesus and Peter tur- or Jesus turned and looked at him, what did the eyes of Jesus say? Hurt, disappointment, compassion? I don't know. But I do believe we're going to be surprised at the judgment seat of Christ. Perhaps, may I say a word, the harshness of the judgment seat of Christ. So, he said to them standing there, take the mine away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said, in verse 25, but, but they said to him, Master, he has enough. Master, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. Why don't you give it to the guy who has five? Because it's about faithfulness. The guy that had the one and, and made ten was so faithful. God said, I want, watch, I want my resources used the best way possible. So take and give the guy with ten. And here's what it says. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. So if you say, well, I wish God would entrust me more, be faithful with what you got. If you want God to give you more responsibility, be faithful where you are. If you want God to entrust you with more funds, be faithful with the funds you have. Why would God? Some of you say, oh, God, give me a pay raise. And you ain't tired of what you're making. Like God's going to say, oh, okay, sure, I'll give you more money to be disobedient with. Amen. Ouch. To whom... Everyone who has, more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even that which he has will be taken. God says, you're not going to be faithful with what I entrust with you. I'll give it to someone it will be. And folks, this is important for our church. I'm tell- Let me tell you something. If you ever want to know why the child protection policy was so important, there's about four reasons, but I'm going to give you one you probably didn't think of. I believe that God has entrusted us with young couples. We have been given a trust factor. And when we are given 30 and 40 new babies, 
and preschoolers, I think we have a responsibility for God to provide a safe environment for them. And if we refuse, He'll say there are other churches in town who could use young people. I don't know why He's blessed us so much with these young people and these babies. I don't know. But I know this. We need to be responsible stewards of these young folks that He's put into our lives. That's why it was so important. We provide a good environment, a great environment, both learning and safety and all those things. We will be held accountable by God. And then he ends with, with a hard word, fortunately not for the Christians. But bring here these enemies of mine. Now, these are not the, the ten. These are those religious leaders. These are the ones who sent the delegation and said, we don't want anything to do with this man. It's just a reminder about why we've got to do business. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. If, if verse 15 is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ, then verse 27 is a picture of the great white throne judgment. Those ones who rejected me as their king, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. At that great white throne judgment, as the lost are brought before him, depart from me, I never hear you, and they will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and forever and forever. You want to know why we need to do business? You know why we don't have time for the nitnoids? You know why we don't have time to sit around sweating gnats, arguing if it's too hot or too cold or too loud or too soft, too bright or too dim? Because there's coming a great white throne judgment. And every person who doesn't know Jesus will hear the words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And will be eternally separated from God. Maybe when the world is one and everyone knows Jesus, we can worry about those things. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. They're just not the most important. The most important is people knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, will we do business? Will we do business? As an individual, will we do business? As a church, will we continue to do business? I guess I go back to Acts where I think it was Peter, who said, whether we should obey God or man, you figure out. But you just need to, this is a paraphrase, but you just know, we're going to obey God. As your pastor, I vote for God. As your pastor, I vote to do everything we can to do business for the kingdom. We're going to hit bumps along the way and we're going to get our feelings hurt and we're going to feel like no one cares. But you know what? Again, we're in the boat. And they're drowning out there. And Jesus says, reach out and grab as many hands as you can and pull them in the boat. I vote to pull them in the boat. Would you bow your heads right there? Wow. I tell you, folks, it's convicting as I preach it. It's convicting as I preach it. Heart disease. How's your heart? Our king has left and said, do business till I come back. 
I know we're all doing business of sorts. Whose business are we doing? There will come accountability. But we'll be held accountable for the stewardship of our lives. And there'll be no judgment for those who don't know Him. And the only determining factor will be Jesus or not. And you know the crazy part? Some of them have never even heard. And yet they'll be held accountable because the book of Romans says that man is without excuse because even nature witnesses. But they've never even clearly heard the gospel presentation. I think it was Cindy Messamore when she got saved had never heard the Jesus story. You don't have to go to Africa. That's a good place to go, but you don't have to go to Africa. There are people who don't understand and get it right here. Right here. Let's do business. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word tonight. Thank you for the power of conviction I sense in my own heart. God, we've got to stay focused. We have got to stay focused. We have got to be faithful stewards of your kingdom work. Father, you are doing some incredible things through the generosity of your people. But Father, as we even discussed last week, it's so frightening to know that we can do our thing here and you be totally absent and sometimes not even know it. We have a great worship service. Enjoy a sermon that's very palatable to our mouths and tasty to our mouths, to our ears. And you're not here. You're here, but you're not here in power. Help us, God. We cry out to you tonight. Help us. We need a fresh wind. We need an in-depth heart catheterization to look inside our hearts to the darkest room that no one ever goes into. We need to let you see. 